to look up at those stars and those animals, you can't help but have a spiritual experience. You realize that, you know, the force of nature, the force of, you know, uh, <laughs> fortune, and I mean, this is the stuff now of poets. And I think the change for me, the shift, is actually to have gone from a cynical, selfish, and, and then eventually, of course, because of my addiction, a user of people and a taker of things. The, the sum total of all these experiences, you can't help but be convinced that there is a greater force in the universe out there than we are. And your life changes. We grow in our understanding and we're able to better relate to other people and it gives oneself a sense of security. Sometimes some people have an Emerson moment. Their thoughts are recorded and recalled for uh, generations to come. At its very worst, your life is going to get better. Welcome to The Open Air. This is Jesse Raisler, and you're listening to Open Air Humans, stories of how people have found a happier, healthier, more human life outdoors. Today, the life-improving qualities of discovering our cosmic insignificance, and what happens when you begin to cook and eat more of your meals outside. All from James Beard Award-winning chef and television creator Andrew Zimmern. Andrew's well-known as the host of the Bizarre Foods franchise, but more recently has created shows like What's Eating America for MSNBC, Family Dinner for Magnolia Network, and the forthcoming Wild Game Kitchen for the Outdoor Channel, which we discuss his motivations for in this very wide-ranging discussion with a -a one-of-a-kind culinary adventurer. Don't be surprised if you leave this episode planning to cook your next meal over an open fire. I know I will. This episode is brought to you by The Open Air Outpost, a new nature escape with luxury tiny cabin and glamping options just two hours northeast of the Twin Cities. It's a place where we've made it easy to put into practice all the wisdom we've learned from the guests on this very show. You can even book unique experiences with some of them as part of your stay. Learn more at openairoutpost.com. Without further ado, I'd love to start today by, by painting a picture for our listeners of maybe one of your earliest uh, culinary adventures, outdoor culinary adventures. And there's an eight-year-old Andrew hanging upside down, held by your father by your heels with your mom yep. yelling, don't drop him. <laughs> Can you yeah. describe for our listeners what, what was happening in that scene? Well, we love mussels. And to this day, it's one of my favorite mm. foods. And uh, out at the beaches where we would go, there were these giant long rock jetties that were built uh, during the, the WPA years to sort of help with beach erosion and stuff like that. And if, if you went out there, the, because the tide would come in and out, it was the perfect place for mussels to grow in these giant clusters, mm. 10, 12 pound ropey clusters of big fat mussels. Oh I mean, man, wow. And my father was, you know, an adult was too big to go between the rocks. So he would hold both my legs, you know, as skinny little seven or eight year old. He would <laughs> yeah. lower lower me down, uh, typically with a sort of like a 
a, a round tipped uh, dinner knife or butter knife to sort of at, at one point, if you needed to prize away whatever, wherever the muscle cluster started growing and hanging, okay. you sort of had to rip that off. And, uh-huh. and then I would say, you know, got him, and he'd, he'd pull me up and I would <laughs> dump him in the bucket and he'd look and see if, you know, cause there's a lot of little baby ones and a lot of mature ones all in the same cluster. So we'd have to determine, is that enough for the six people that we're having for dinner or whatever? Sure. And yeah. uh, at five o'clock, my dad would set up a couple rods and, and surf cast for fish and build a fire. I mean, this was not an unusual thing. This mm-hmm. was a uh, every other weekend deal. And, and sometimes my mother and her friends would recreate it during the week, uh, the weekdays, weeknights when when the dads were away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you catch a fish and grill it and you, you steam mussels. All you have to bring is a bottle of wine and some onions and steam the mussels and everyone would just sort of, you know, eat with their fingers and, you know, sit by the fire and then go drive back home at eight o'clock at night. We didn't call it foraging food, but it sure was something that I look back on as, as an incredible tradition that's, I mean, obviously, you know, hunting and gathering is, you know, one of the, the, the great sort of, uh, uh, you know, Rubicons of our, our human development, our civilization, you know, when we, we sort of, uh, you know, became a, a more intelligent species. Um, and, and we still do it today. And now it is, a, you know, a, a cultural, you know, defining shift as people are trying to include more wild food in their diet. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that it's, it's very important from a uh, a health and wellness standpoint, if, if we took more, if every human being in America took, uh, skipped one meal a week and we took another meal from the, uh, uh, from the wild mm-hmm. and we took another meal from a, a scientific, you know, uh, an an engineered product, right? I mean, you Mm -hmm. know, a meal in a can, right? It would be dramatically beneficial on our food system and uh, which is taxed beyond belief right now. And and we'll continue to do so as our population almost what doubles by 2050. It's, it's something we're going to have to consider how we feed that many people efficiently over the next uh, 29 years as, as the, as we grow as a global community. Absolutely. And yeah, like you said, the benefits just stack one on top of each other. But I'd love to to focus in on the one you mentioned about our well-being and not only like our nutrition, you know, physical well-being, but our mental health well-being and our spiritual well-being. And I wonder what sort of a connection. And our biologic, I mean. Yeah. And our yeah. environment. Absolutely. You know, and not and not even just just the food, but the the act of getting outside for any of these activities, whether it's foraging, fishing, hunting, or just going for a hike. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your own experience when you're able to get out into nature and immerse yourself oh, in those God, places. That's... What does that do for our, our mental health? Well, I mean, uh, fresh air and exercise simply the act of walking. And then once outside, the, the awareness is really unbelievable. I've had a chance to, you know, walk along the, the, the rocky tidal area and areas of, of Portugal where you can just lean down into the water and pluck seafood out. Mm. Uh, mountain walks uh, in, in, in 
uh, sacred tribal lands uh, in outside of the Taos Pueblo, uh, where you can, you know, collect wild herbs and plants that are used as medicine, as food, mm -hmm. um, as uh, Aromatherapy, uh, I mean, just, you know, the act of smudging sage is, is not only a spiritual act, but also a, it can be a healthy one. Don't inhale too much smoke, but, you know, sage is a, is a very sacred medicine. Mm. Um, and you, you, your opinion of the world changes. Uh, it, it's a matter of becoming right-sized, mm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. you, we, if you look at, at, at the the history of humankind and you look at how we describe ourselves what kind of questions we ask and how we express it one of one of the only ways that you know we can do that before the you know the cuneiform and then papyrus and then mm -hmm. you know ultimately the printing press uh you know was cave paintings and and art right. and, you know there, there's always someone asking a question about what our relationship is uh, to the world, right? Where, where, where do I fit? You know, those, those, those incredible, uh, Japanese woodcuts or those amazing, uh, Chinese tapestries, uh, and those, those, you know, massive European, uh, uh, historical, uh, paintings all shared the same thing. They all explore the idea of, of, our relationship to the world around us. Human beings are tiny little specks in these massive landscapes, right? Um, detailing how sort of insignificant we are. Um, and so, and the reason I bring this up is that as we're out for that, that, that walkabout, even if it's just for an hour, you know, in the, you know, near where we live, um, it's a meditation. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard to articulate, right? Like what those cave paintings, the idea behind that is like sort of re-understanding our cosmic insignificance and how that can actually be liberating in a of way. Of course. You know, uh, when you get out there and you go, this world is so much bigger than me. And only in modern yeah. times have we focused so much on the ego and spent so much time indoors, frankly, that's in the last couple hundred of years. So I imagine too, in all your travels, like when you are in a place where you have one of those just awe inspiring moments where you realize how small you are, something happens. And I think it, it changes your outlook. I mean, have you thought much about those experiences? Like, I'd love to hear a, if you, if you have a couple specific experiences where you've been out there and you have one of those moments where you just are in awe and what that's done to your uh, mindset. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, I mean, I'll just go to the, the, the most technical extreme. Um, I, I, I still believe that uh, central Mongolia is the least populated place on earth. Having been there and, and spent seven, six, seven nights out on the step, and, uh, you know, I remember sleeping one night and having to get up to go to the bathroom uh, and, you know, you, you go outside. Uh, and I remember not sort of being able to open the little door to, to my gur. It, it, it was a, a little flap that you sort of rolled up and, you know, and I usually just push through it, right? You know, sort of like a hanging thing. 
and uh, I, I untied the other side of it, and I'm like, yeah, I wonder what's going on. And I, and I looked, and because my body temperature and the temperature of the little fire in my in my can in the middle of the room uh, is had created a, an atmosphere where the inside of my tent was like 50 degrees. Okay. And the outside of the tent is like 30 degrees, right? Uh -huh. All the animals had come and were <laughs> sleeping around the, the, the tents oh my of, of, of my host, Dashka, and the family. So I opened the door and there's literally like cows lying down, <laughs> leaning against the tent. And, you know, I, I had to pee and, you know, you, that's nature calls, as they say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did. And I remember, I just will never forget looking straight out across this valley hmm. and then turning my head and looking back at all these animals and just very, I, I realized I could see, right? Mm -hmm. But there wasn't a lot of light. There was no moon. It, the thought occurred to me, just look up. And I looked up and you know, with no light pollution, mm -hmm. to look up at those stars and those animals, you can't help but have a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. If you're not changed by a simple moment of being alone at four in the morning, looking up at the stars in the middle of Mongolia, the, to have that privilege of change, mm -hmm. to, to realize, and, and by the way, it impacted my life for forever but it it took years for that to happen because mm -hmm. you keep thinking back at those moments at times when you think you are significant and you remember how truly insignificant mm. you you are and you have that same moments but you realize that you know the force of nature the force of of you know uh <laughs> fortune and i mean this is the stuff now of poets right mm -hmm. you know we 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 cast ourselves upon the sea and we don't know whether we'll return or not i mean this is you know now we're in the the you know the land of the the imagination of the writer um but our our insignificance is is such a powerful thing to look back on and think about and humbling. And hopefully it makes you a better human being because you realize that there are other people who are cast upon other seas, uh, you know, of, of poverty and crisis and, um, and circumstance that, that their lives are not comfortable. And I think the change for me, the shift overall of experiencing these things over the course of my lifetime is actually to have gone from a cynical, selfish, completely self-centered teen, let's say. Mm -hmm. If I have to think of myself at my worst, well, maybe it was early 20s. I mean, maybe maybe I was the, the most reprehensible I ever was as a 23-year-old. You know, just, sure. just self-centeredness, you know, run... A, a muck. And, and then eventually, of course, because of my addiction, a user of people and a taker of things, I actually became, you know, aggressively uh, bad. But the, the, the sum total of all these experiences, these walks, the, these moments, uh, the, these life experiences, you can't help but be convinced that there is, you know, a, a, a greater force in the universe out there than we are. 
those walks, those meditations, those experiences that you can control as a human being. It's why I encourage everybody to do it wherever they can. Yeah. Uh, even if it means taking a canoe out in the middle of a lake by yourself, right? Yeah. Is, is a spiritual experience that allows you to, to put some framing around your own life and belief system and, and, it gives it gives oneself a, a sense of security going back to that mental health and that personal well-being piece all of this it's why travel is transformative hmm. i mean if i've learned anything uh over the course of my work life it's that travel is transformative um you learn things and then you export or import them back into your life when you come home. You're a better version of yourself when you're away from home base. I don't learn a lot when I'm on my couch. Right. Uh, but when I'm out in the world, I, I take more risks. I ask more questions. I do more things uh, that I wouldn't ordinarily do and uh, just by necessity. And I therefore and I learn more. And that changes that changes you. Well, and getting back to that cosmic insignificance and specifically that night under the stars in Mongolia, I mean, that brings right to mind for me. One of my experiences like that was just, you know, in the backyard. I mean, I grew up in a very small town, so not a lot of light pollution. I could see the stars, but I remember like laying under the stars and having that first realization just how insignificant I was and what that does to just erase anxieties. Like I was like, oh, for the first time, like if I miss the bus tomorrow, it's no big deal. And that's like a kid's mindset experiencing it. But as an adult, it does the same thing. And if you go out to a place, like it doesn't have to be necessarily Mongolia, you're as far from anywhere as you can be, but you know, anywhere you can have that moment with the stars. And if you're hiking to your point about getting into a flow state that can happen with hunting or fishing or hiking, or you just put your mind in that state. So you've got, you know, insignificance, erasing anxiety, plus a flow state that puts you in a different part of your mind and really magical things can happen. And, um, specifically, I'd love to talk more about, you know, around, you know, you've been out a lot of places procuring your own meal and then cooking it in the place where you found it or hunted it or harvested it. And I'd love for you to talk about like, a, why does it just taste better outside and why is cooking it outside such an experience there there is something pretty awesome about um uh, not having anything in your cooler yeah. and, and trusting to go and get it i'll give you two quick stories uh you know uh one in botswana and one in in kazakhstan mm -hmm. we were with a, a group of of men who hunted patriarchal society in this village that we were visiting um who train eagles to hunt mm. uh and it's a, an eagle that is that is second in size only to our bald eagle it's a massive animal you know they, they spot these wild hares you go up into this mountain and you spot these wild hares in the valley and then you release the you have to train the eagle to look a certain way and the eagle then sees this animal and it goes and gets it and then you have to race with your horse down to where the eagle is the eagle has shrouded the animal with its wings it puts its wings out so what you have to do is you have to carry little pieces of meat in your pocket and reach in under its wing this razor sharp beak that can take off your finger very easily and you swap the rabbit for this little piece of meat and the eagle chops down on the on the meat and then you grab it 
around its wings and sort of gathered in, put its little hood back on. And uh, you then have an opening from which to, to skin the rabbit and roast it over an open fire. Mm. Um, I, I don't think you can have an experience that puts yourself back in time. I, I mean, there, you, you sit there and, you know, if you squint, you could, it could be 2,000 years ago. In Botswana with the tribal people, you know, you, you know, we showed up one day and we're trying to, to we're going to, we have this list of incredible foods. We've been pre-producing this thing for almost a year. It took us three years working with the government of Botswana just to get in to, to, to live with this tribal people, mm. the Juntoisi in the Aha Hills, about five hours outside of Maun. And, um, you know, they're, they're like, oh, well, we're the only thing we're eating this week are these, these wild grass beetles and marula fruits. And we eat the fruit and it's like a little apricot kind of thing. And, and we roast the nuts and in the fire. And the, when the nuts are cooked, we pound them in our mortar and pestle with these raw beetles. And we make, we let it dry. And it's, it's like a, a, a ancient power bar. It's got everything you need for your, you just eat it all the time and they eat perfectly with the season. So they were not going to eat. They, they wouldn't shoot. They have these tiny little poison arrows uh, and they're incredible and slings and they're incredible marksmen. And they're the, the greatest hunters in the world or the Gentoisi in Botswana. You know, they, they're like, yeah, we're going to eat this until there's no more bugs. And the marula, the fruit of the marula tree is gone. Right. So even the rotted fruit that falls to the ground, they peel away that 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 rotted fruit and roast the nuts. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, we're going to be here that they eat this for two weeks at a time and then they move on to the next food that nature provides. Mm. We were able to follow a a honeybird is the translation. It's a bird that only it's got a long, long, long beak and it goes into beehives hmm. that. Uh, of the, you know, wild African bees that are, are the kind that you do not want to be around. Mm -hmm. And it eats the bee larva. So when they see one flying, they follow it. They'll follow it for days until that bird leads them to honeycombs mm. that are filled with honey. And oh, they, wow. they bring with them these animal hides and they collect all of it. They, they make smoke, they make fire in their hands with little... Uh, dried grasses and stuff like that uh, and, and natural flint. And then they put it into these like leather pouches and they blow the smoke in to, to, to smoke out the bees and everyone gets drunk on honey because they have <laughs> so much sugar and they gorge on it. Wow. Um, and it's an amazing, amazing thing you know the the next week we we were able to hunt these giant uh wild porcupines they're like 70 pounds they're giant it's it, it reminded wow. me of of princess bride you know rodents of unusual <laughs> ROUSs, yes. and uh you know the, the these the, the hunters in the tribe crawl down these tunnels into the ground face forward with spears and and then pull these giant porcupines out and um the bones are used for tools. The quills are used for jewelry and craft making uh, and uh, beading. And the 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 
fat, the inch thick fat layer underneath the, the quills uh, before you get to the meat of the animal is eaten right away because it spoils the fastest. And, and then all the meat of the porcupine is flung up into a tree where it air, I mean, it's so dry and it's so hot. Mm -hmm. It literally air dries before it has a chance to spoil. Oh, wow. Um, and so that they can then eat it as jerky or just boil it in, uh, water if they, uh, and, and make soups. Um, I mean, it's not really a soup. It's just boiled meat and water. Well, I guess it's a pottage of, of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's an amazing uh, thing as well. You know, and yeah. those, those sort of experiences, you know, one where you're, you're going out and collecting a specific thing at a specific time, preserving a cultural tradition as we did in Kazakhstan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also rooted in how those people have fed themselves for thousands of years as, as well as this idea that we only eat with the seasons, Mm -hmm. right? We would never take something from mother nature that wasn't given to us. We don't force it. Right. Right. Um, is, uh, it brings you as close to, uh, your own humanity as you can get. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I mean, in dozens of different ways. And if, if those experiences of, of gathering food and the ways in which you do it and the way in which you spend your time in nature doesn't change you, um, then I don't know. I mean, look, we're, we're not all going to be, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, right? Yeah. yeah if you're not in nature and if you're not doing things outside for me, it's, it's, it's working with food. That's my, that's how I get into it. Right. Yeah. Everyone gets into it a different way. Some yep. people do it because they, they do, uh, you know, uh, running, you know, trail mm-hmm. riding and stuff like that. I mean, that is, you know, get out and, and get outside and, and your life changes. Absolutely. Literally your life changes. And, and I think that, it changes for the better. We, we grow in experience and we grow in our understanding and we're able to better relate to other people. And sometimes some people have an Emerson moment and you know, our, their, their thoughts are recorded and recalled for uh, generations to come Uh, at its very worst. Your life is going to get better. Yes. It's impossible for your life not to get, who wouldn't choose that? Right. You know, stay inside and your life stays the same. Go outside and your life gets better. Amen. You know, that mindset you mentioned um, of of partnering with an animal to procure a meal or eating only what's in season. I mean, I think there's a lot that modern humans and more modern and urban city dwelling humans can learn from that mindset. Um, And I think one of those things is to just be cooking what's in season and procuring a meal. And I want to touch on what you're doing with wild game kitchen showing us how to do that and do that well um tell me about cooking outside i know you were using uh, a couple really interesting pieces of equipment the the kudu or or just like when you are cooking over an open flame there are things you can do over an open flame with a cast iron pan that you can't do inside so what are those benefits about cooking your meal out outdoors? Well, if you're if you're going to go out and you know hunt and fish and trap and gather 
uh, you know, because we, we also work with vegetables and, and, you know, mushrooms and other things that and ferns and stuff that you can find. Yeah. I, I, first of all, you have to manage the fire and that is in itself a meditation. Um, you're only focused on managing the fire. And, you know, cooking over open flame imparts food flavor into that right. uh, cast iron pan. People think you have to be over a grill where some sort of liquid leaves a, a zucchini or a lamb chop and it drips down into the fire and it comes back up to that piece of food in the form of smoke and it flavors it. Uh, some people are into extreme smoking. We call it barbecuing. Uh, and, you know, uh, but everyone forgets that, you know, for years, uh, thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, we only cooked over open fire. Uh, mm -hmm. The stove is a very relatively modern invention. Uh, the microwave even newer. So uh, in an effort to kind of persuade people to maybe get outside, you know, one more day a week, yeah. One more day a year. Um, if you catch something and you can keep it, eat it. I want people to take meals from the wild. There are sustainable uh, ecosystems from which we can take food. Yes. And um, I think it's important for people, you know, the disconnect is people are like, well, what do I do with it then? So I want to show people what to do with it. And, uh, you know, living in Minnesota, the, the, the answer is always, well, throw it in a crock pot, throw your venison in a crock pot, throw, right. it's, fry it or throw it in a crock pot. Yeah. And there's so many more interesting things to do uh, with food. And so we show people uh, those more interesting ways. And by the way, not, you know, quote unquote, you know, chef driven techniques. We're, we're talking about traditional techniques of uh, very simply, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. We, we did a, um, we did a dish with pheasant, uh, that is traditionally thrown in a crock pot in Minnesota. Right. And, but everyone loves it. They do it with a can of condensed mushroom soup and <laughs> right. let it cook down. Right. And, and so I'm like, okay, so if everyone loves that creamy vibe with pheasant, so I did a dish with, you know, apples and apple cider vinegar and apple cider, and I browned the, I butchered the meat uh, into pieces and showed people how simple that was, browned the meat and then cooked it for 20, 30 minutes in the, in vinegar and cider and uh, diced apples and uh, onion, and then finished it with a little cream. And I mean, it's the simplest thing in the world. It's like seven ingredients and, you know, it doesn't take very long at all because most people overcook uh, food. Um and uh, it, it's that sort of sublime experience that, you know, and I hope people do directly cook the recipes that I that I show them. But more importantly, I just want yeah. them to get outside um, and experience food in nature, which I think is uh, the, the place where we we we've lost that skill set. And I think it was something that everyone knew how to do. I mean, if you go back in time 200 years, 300 years, anywhere in the world, any human being over the age of 10, maybe even younger, could find a meal in the wild and feed themselves. Everyone knew how to build a fire. Everyone knew how to make a meal for themselves in the wild. Everyone. And that is, that, that is that's quite striking that we've lost that because most people today do not know how to do that. And um, 
I'm not suggesting that we, we return to, you know, the, the, the 17th century. Um, but I do because I think we've, we've learned a lot as we've modernized and many things for the better. But I do think we've lost some things that uh, importantly uh, we need to restore. And that is a way to experience nature in the outdoors. And since I did it through food and, yeah. and originally being held by my dad, by my ankles, <laughs> as, yeah. as you brought up to collect the muscles, uh, you know, I thought, why not inspire people to do that today? Well, so excited to see it. We'll be sure to link through um, when that comes out. And yeah, Every, everything is on andrewzimmerman.com, one-stop shopping. Awesome. Uh, you know, subscribe to my Substack at andrewzimmerman.substack.com. But you can just go to andrewzimmerman.com and right there on the bar at the top are all the different things I do. And you can just click on it and experience uh, all the things we're talking about and stay up to date on the new shows. But Wild Game Kitchen premieres in the fall on the Outdoor Channel. Well, thank you. And thank you for inspiring us to... What, what better way to reconnect with our humanity than doing a meal like that outdoors? So thanks for inspiring us to do it. Thank you, my friend. View all things Andrew Zimmern at andrewzimmern.com. And be sure to watch for Wild Game Kitchen this fall on the Outdoor Channel. Open Air Humans is a production of Credo Nonfiction. See and hear more at credononfiction.com. And we'd love to see and hear from you. As part of Open Air Humans, we're collecting something we call Open Air Diaries. We'd love a simple story from you about a moment you were out in nature and became awestruck. Tell us about a time you experienced something that made you feel a deeper or more profound connection to the world around you. If you'd be so kind to record that story on your phone is great and email that audio file to openairhumans at gmail.com. We'll be collecting these and playing one at the end of each episode moving forward. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us and sharing your life with us out here in the open air.